everybody. It's Allie, and welcome to our YNR chat for Sunday, December 7th, 2014. And the winner of the Who's the Victoria Baby Daddy contest is Mr. Billy Abbott. Yes, that's right, Mr. Billy Abbott. <laughs> by a landslide or by a, a, a strand of hair. <laughs> The choice moment of the week for me, and did you guys notice how Victoria had to ask the question of the specialist, the DNA guy, the doctor, that I know was on all of our minds, um, the lab, it's, um, it's secure, right? I mean, because, you know, sometimes things happen. Is there any chance there was a security breach with these DNA test results? I mean, I I know it's crazy, uh, but uh, th- th- things happen sometimes. And there's a you know there, I, I, there's an entire wing of this hospital dedicated to my father. Um, yet, and I and I, I, I know that you're on the cusp of the latest medical technology, but I I, I think it's it's come to light recently, uh, several times that there may be a security breach at that uh, DNA lab uh, uh, room that you have there. (laughs) And I just want to make sure that there's no... uh, Yeah, yeah, 16 genetic markers. I'm not questioning how well you perform the test. I'm wondering if there's any chance that anyone, maybe a blonde... (laughs) just off the top of my head, could have possibly broken into that facility. And, you know, if, if you don't feel comfortable or confident in, in your DNA lab, I hear there's a really good one in Switzerland, and it, we could just, we could, we could FedEx those results right over there, right now, and it would be fine. <laughs> okay, Allie. <laughs> Enough with that joke, but it was funny to me, and I feel like... DNA results in this town are a dime a dozen. They mean almost nothing. For crying out loud, you could set your clock, set your watch to all of the paternity switches in this town. So I'm gonna, I suppose, take it at face value and accept that Billy is the father of Victoria's baby. I think think it's a good outcome. I really should have known at the beginning of Monday's episode what the result was going to be because there was this beautiful moment where Victoria's waiting for the guys and the doctor to arrive but before all of that she has um, a private conversation with Stitch and it's, it's very tender. It's clear that she does really care about him and she feels feels bad for judging him and he has this little glimmer of hope in his eye that it's all gonna work out and that he and Victoria are gonna this is gonna be his child and they're gonna raise it together in bliss and he's gonna get a chance at the life that he never you know had before meanwhile uh Billy is talking to Chelsea saying Yeah, we know the results are in, and no matter what they are, I want you to know that my life, my future is with you. So clearly... 
really <laughs> why Anar was laying the groundwork for uh, laying the groundwork for all of that to be dashed. I bet dashed. I should have known better, right? Um, because there was a brief moment where I thought, well, you know, maybe. No, 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 no. <laughs> Billy is the father of Victoria's baby, as far as we know this week. Um, and I think it's uh the right storyline move. I feel bad for Stitch, and I feel bad for Chelsea. When they revealed the results, uh, the oh gosh. Stitch practically ran out of the room, probably trying to hold back his tears, and Billy called Chelsea to tell her the news, and she ripped up a perfectly good drawing. It was a beautiful beautiful sequence at the end of Monday's show where they played the YNR theme song, which always gets my attention, like Pavlov's dog. I hear that bell ringing, and I'm like, oh, pay attention. It was a nice sequence. Um, it showed uh, both the joy of Billy and Victoria contrast with the crushing defeat uh, of, of Stitch and Chelsea. But I personally am glad that this is... <sighs> This is how it turned out. I think it's the right storyline move. Uh, Billy lost a daughter last year around this time. And not that Katie uh, is going to become a replacement for Delia, but I think uh, that having this daughter is going to restore a lot of the joy and the life that was pulled out of the character of Billy when he lost his daughter. So I think it's good for Billy. I think it's good for the audience. And, you know, way off in the future, uh, Billy will also have Chloe's baby, too. So it's, <laughs> who knows, right? Wider seems like they we lost Catherine and Delia last year, but they gave us two new babies. Maybe that's part of their their um, um, operating procedure at Wider. Like, if you kill one person, you got to replace it by, with two. You know, you got to keep the population of Genoa City uh, replenished. Uh, and I don't know. Who knows? I, Chloe's baby could end up being Kevin's. But uh, I think I think it's uh, I think it's good that we've you know got that that character of, of of Billy maybe back into a genuinely happy place, not in a rebound kind of place. Um, I do appreciate Billy's relationship with Chelsea, but it's been. There's been a shadow of rebound over them both. She was getting over Adam. He was getting over Victoria. And it just didn't, it never quite felt like their relationship, although it, it's been special and interesting and um, supportive. It feels like they almost kind of never really had a chance. Uh, I, I think that ultimately... Victoria and Billy <clears throat> will be pulled back together. It's really only a matter of time, and it seems like there are other signals, even already this week, that that's going to happen. Uh, but <laughs> Victoria and Billy, for as much as I think they are enjoying the birth of their daughter, they've got to both be thinking about what could have been. How could they not? I mean, this is the child that they wanted for so long and tried so hard to have. And now it's here. And the one thing that's missing that's still broken is their relationship. So I, I think it's going to be natural for Victoria and Billy to bond again and to gravitate back toward one another. But they've got some pretty strong other 
forces that are going to continuously be working against them, not the least of all, which are Stitch and Chelsea, but then there's Victor. Victor has found out that Billy is the father, and he is not about to let that bond Billy and Victoria the way I think they're naturally going to want to. So Victor... On top of finding out Billy is the father, also found out that Stitch is a hero. He didn't really kill his own father, uh, and and so he was protecting his mother, and that gives Stitch that quality of honor and protecting one's family that Victor holds so dear. And now Victor's zeroed in on that for with Stitch, and I think he is right back to thinking that Stitch is the ideal candidate for Victoria's heart, which we all know. It never works out. Every time Victor tries to thwart Victoria's relationships with another man or with something else, it backfires on him. Victoria doesn't want the good guy. She doesn't want the guy who's like her father. She wants the bad boy time and time again. And the death seal, the death nail for any anyone else is Victor's approval. Victoria doesn't want... Uh, or need her father's approval on her relationship, but that is not going to stop Victor. He is probably, I'm guessing, going to find allies in Stitch and Chelsea. In one way or another, he's going to be poking and prodding behind the scenes, and those three people are going to be working to keep uh, Victoria and Billy apart. Uh, after all, I mean, she, she is a new one. Did you guys... <laughs> last week when they were talking about this that it was kind of like joking but did you guys catch that Victoria actually put Newman as the last name on the child's birth certificate well I guess the child's a Newman one way or the other um and it's going to be a battle over this kid. It's a, it's a Newman, it's another Newman Abbott heir. How many of those do we have? Uh, how many Newman and Abbott children do we have? You guys tell me. Well, tell me, are you happy about, A, are you, tell, are you happy about Billy being the father of Victoria's baby? Are you happy with this outcome? And B, if there are any YNR historians out there, how many... Uh, Newman Abbott crossover children or bred children do we have on this show uh, or have ever been out there? Because uh, Abby's the only one I can think of who's both a Newman and an Abbott. And now we have uh, Catherine. So um, if you can think of any other, let me know. Now, ugh, Maureen is still at large. She calls Nikki on her cell phone, and Nikki agrees to meet her in Chancellor Park. And I thought it was going to be Maureen threatening Nikki again, and I, I, I believe that's what Nikki thought as well. Um, but Maureen is very desperate, and she's seeming very sorry for what she did to Victoria. And Nikki has to break the truth to her that the baby 
baby is Billy's, so she really has no connection uh, to the child. And I, I felt bad for Maureen. I, I just, I do feel bad for her. What she did was horrible, but I, I guess I feel like she probably would have let Victoria out. I don't know if she's vicious. I think she's a little bit manipulative, but I'm not entirely sure if she's the, um, you know, the big monster manipulator that I had kind of originally thought. She seems like a, a weakened woman, and maybe that's uh, the only reason why I'm giving her a little bit of snap, slack, but Maureen uh, goes to Nikki and, and, and essentially just appeals to her for support and understanding. I mean, she's on the run. She she knows that the Newmans are big wheels and that they could prosecute her right into the ground, not only for what she did to Victoria, but now that the truth's out about what she did to her husband, her life is kind of over. And Nikki senses that weakness in her and I believe identifies with it. Nikki's just been through this journey of feeling weak, turning to alcohol, and in general making the wrong decisions. And I think Nikki saw that Maureen did that and she was in the middle of a repentance. So Nikki had mercy on her. She hands her an envelope, which by the way is a page straight from the book of Victor Newman. Everybody loves an envelope full of cash, which Maureen didn't ask for, but she took it very gratefully and vowed to Nikki that she was going to use the money to start a new life, to become a better person. And I suppose that uh, that was Maureen's goodbye. It seemed like a goodbye to me. She took the money, um, had this tender moment with Nikki and kind of uh, walked off into the bushes. So I don't think we're going to be seeing any more from her. Uh, I'm kind of wondering, or my assessment or reading of the scene was that we're sort of maybe saying goodbye to this chapter of Nikki's struggle too with, uh, you know, falling off the wagon. Um, it seemed in a way that Nikki said, you know, I don't need, you know, this isn't blackmail money. I don't need you uh, to keep my secret anymore because there's nothing to keep. I'm not drinking. I'm feeling stronger. And so I feel like maybe that was a, a bookend for that storyline. So goodbye, Maureen, and hopefully goodbye, <laughs> Nikki's drinking. I I did feel bad because Maureen had this moment of saying, oh, this, you know, my family has suffered so much. You know, Kelly's lost her child. I don't know if Maureen lost, knew about Jack, but now uh, Stitch lost his family and this baby. I've caused all this damage. Um, and I, I felt, you know, bad because I realized, you know, Stitch and Kelly both have had a hard life and they are kind of perpetual losers or they just, they, they keep, losing, and that does make me feel for them. Stitch had a minor victory uh, the week. He's, I think he's the kind of guy that's going to throw himself into work, which is probably another reason why Victor loves him. But he goes back to the lab, and he starts working on Ashley's secret potion, and he calls Abby and Ashley over to reveal to him that he cracked the code, the, 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 the element, the whatever the secret love potion 
foundation base is no longer smells like garbage. Now it smells like nothing. So this is a big victory. Now they can move forward with uh, marketing the fragrance or developing a fragrance to put it in. Um, I, I, I thought that was significant and I'm looking forward to seeing more of the love potion, but I was also very um, shocked more so by the fact that Abby apologized to him. Abby has been ruthless on Stitch. I know I get a little hard on him sometimes, but she's been ruthless in calling him a murderer every step along the way. And she apologized to him now that the truth is out. He's not a murderer. She has no leg to stand on and really revealed herself as caring about Stitch. It might even be the equivalent of, you know, when um when you're in grade school and you like somebody and or I guess this is more about boys, but they like pick on the, the person that they like. I wonder if that's what it is for Abby. Uh, I wonder <laughs> if we're headed more toward a Abby Ashley Stitch triangle. I'm not sure. I don't know if I even want to see that. We're, we're doing the fighting over, a, over a, 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 a woman thing with the Winters family. I don't really know if I want to see it with Abby and her daughter too. Uh, but Stitch is seemingly going to be up for grabs. He goes to see Victoria and through the window gets an eyeful of Victoria and Billy bonding with their new child, putting up the Christmas tree, going through decorations, remembering Delia, and Stitch sees it. And in and of itself, he saw them embracing, which is pretty much harmless, but it's it's more obvious, I think, to an outsider what's really going on. This is a clear path toward Billy and Victoria getting back together. And Stitch is distraught about this, realizing and feeling that maybe he doesn't really have a chance with Victoria. Although, I don't know, I think she might continue to try to work it out with Stitch. Um, so that, I don't know, I just don't think it's going to be an Insta reunion for, for Billy and Victoria. But, uh, but Stitch... I think is sort of seeing the writing on the wall. He goes to the underground. He gets all drunk and despondent. Abby tries to comfort him. He sees Jeff off in the corner and wants to initiate a fight with him over this whole uh, malpractice lawsuit, which, by the way, Chelsea has already paid off Jeff to make that lawsuit go away so that there's no reason why Stitch and Victoria can't just blissfully and happily and easily get back together. Uh, but Stitch wants to f cause a fight. They break it up, and instead of getting in a fight, he goes back to the Abbott lab, and he's all drunk and fallen over the place, and Ashley's there. It's probably late at night. She's been working on the potion. <laughs> They're alone with a love potion. I think we can see where the couples are going to fall. This week was 
Kelly's revenge. It's time for her to have a say. Phyllis has been having her say all over town, and now Kelly gets to confront Jack after learning that he did kind of lead her on and then slip an engagement ring on Phyllis's finger. I'm feeling where Kelly's coming from. She did get dogged, and I don't think Jack did it on purpose. I don't think he did it with malice in any way. I think it was Jack's indecision more than anything else that ended up hurting Kelly in the end. And she comes to Jack's office and she really lays into him. And it needed to be said. She said, Jack Abbott, I was perfectly happy to not be in a relationship. I resisted this relationship with you. You changed the rules. You courted me. You were the one who made me believe, made me believe that there was a future that was possible for us. And then you yanked out the rug from under me. And I hate you for that. She said, I hate you for that, which was such a powerful moment because we uh, are reminded that there is such a thin line between love and hate, and she's now crossed over onto the other side of it. And I kind of wonder if that thin line, maybe is a thin red line, uh, that Phyllis is sort of dancing on in the same way. I think Phyllis also feels betrayed by Jack's indecision, and the more I get in, uh, I don't know, Phyllis kind of catches the tail end of Kelly storming out of Jack's office and yet again asks Jack, you know, what was that all about? Gives him, has given him countless opportunities to tell Phyllis the truth about his relationship with Kelly, yet he doesn't want to for one reason or another. She's trying to give him the chance and he's not taking up on it. And I think, um, I had kind of theorized a couple of weeks ago that this, that Phyllis sort of putting pressure on the on the Jack and Kelly situation was more about uh, getting at Kelly, but I don't know. This week I sort of got the impression that she is sort of in that middle line. You know, I love Jack. I want to be with Jack, but he lied to me and is continuing to lie to me. So I think Phyllis just wants to, you know, she, I think, bounces back and forth on the line and sort of just wants wants to be on one side or the other. And I think there's a part of her that could forgive Jack and understand why he did what he did. It's the fact that he's not telling her about it. You know, she's kind of all better now. So why is he refusing to talk to her about it? If they're supposed to be this couple, this great couple who is love of a lifetime, then why can't he open up to her about something that he's feeling? There really should be no secrets in a healthy relationship. And there's no real reason why he couldn't Tell Phyllis, save everyone the trouble. This is what got you into this mess in the first place, Jack. Just trying to keep the secret, keep the secret, do the dance. You need to just be open uh, with Phyllis. If you would have been more open with Kelly from the beginning, I think she wouldn't have got hurt. And now you're going to end up hurting Phyllis too. So Jack's got some work to do. And Phyllis is, I think, really trying hard to push him toward that. She is 
blazing back into her life in Genoa City, and she's taking no prisoners. She wants her man, uh, and she's pushing for Kelly to plan this wedding. And again, I think it's not, you know, mostly about wanting Dirk Kelly. I, I, I really think I was wrong about that. I think she's just trying to force the truth out. She just wants people to stop lying to her. She wants to have some semblance of her life, however it was before she left. It's, 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 it's what she clinged on to when she was in the coma, and it's, it's something that could help propel her into the life that she's found herself in now. Uh, she wants... Jack, she wants her old job back, and everyone else just be damned. <laughs> Which, uh, basically, she wants it all, and, uh, you know, it's very Phyllis. It's exactly the type of Phyllis that we remembered uh, since before the, the coma. She tells, uh, she pressures Jack into giving her her old R&D job back, which Billy has since taken over, and which has been a good stabilizing force for Billy. And Jack doesn't just want to give it to her. In fact, he said something uh, to her like, um, you know, you can't just expect me to go back on everything I've offered people since you came back. And you, it was more than the Billy situation. He was projecting uh, that Phyllis sort of forced his hand when it came to the Kelly decision, which she did. Uh, I think she did. She did force. That's how, that's her strategy. Brute force. That's who she is. And Jack did not just want to give her this job that is belonging to Billy's now. So he tried to dangle this new job in front of her, which is a position that's the head of the fashion division, and says, "This is a good job for you. You don't want to be stuck behind a desk at R and D. You should be up in the forefront, making decisions about our fashion line. You've got all of the qualities." I'm looking for, uh, for for a leader for this. Plus, by the way, I don't really want to put Billy as head of fashion because I don't know if his relationship with Chelsea is going to work out, which is also kind of some foreshadowing. Even Jack kind of maybe sees and Jill sees. It seems like everybody's sort of seeing that maybe that relationship with Billy and Chelsea is not going to work out. Uh, so I enjoyed Jack giving Phyllis the argument for why she should take this other job and Phyllis resisting and saying, you can't just manage manage me like this, you know, you, but, but yet at the same time having to admit that he does know her and that this is a good opportunity for her to get back into some semblance of a good life. And I think that it's a, an appropriate fit for Phyllis to be the head of the fashion division. And not only that, but it creates business storyline. It creates business storyline drama. I one of the happiest moments of the week for me was the second that Phyllis tried to fire Sharon, who also was working for the fashion division, the minute she walked in the door. The confrontation that really hadn't happened, that I was waiting for to happen, was... Summer and Sharon coming face to face for the first time after learning the truth about what Sharon did to her. Summer has an argument 
I mean, I think that uh, we're, you know, I, I tend to defend Sharon, and obviously we've got Mariah and Noah defending Sharon, and even Austin to some extent uh, defending um, or, or Mariah's relationship with Sharon. Um, and yet Summer is sort of, I don't know, the way I'm watching it is almost kind of being painted as, as being the bad guy a little bit, but it's not true. I, I never would have expected Summer to just forgive Sharon. She was sick. Blah, blah. It's fine. It's cool. You totally destroyed uh, my life, but I forgive you. I mean, I wasn't ever expecting that to happen. Uh, so I was happy to see Sharon and Summer at uh, at Nick's house while he was gone, uh, having it out, and Summer saying what she was feeling. And you know, I can't believe you did this to me. Uh, I can't believe you know you even think that you still have a chance with my father. Uh, I completely resent you. You took away my family. You took away my mother. And then you had the nerve to try to replace her in my life, which I don't think was what Sharon was trying to do. But I can see from Summer's perspective that that's how she felt. Um, I, 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 of course, I can't help but want to defend Sharon for probably no really good reason. I just do. I just... I like I feel connected to the character of Sharon, not like emotionally so much or even in her actions, I guess just because she's a legacy character and I want her to succeed. I want Sharon to win. She's been, uh, again, the loser for quite a few years and she's been a victim of some pretty horrible things that they've that the you know, writers sort of pinned on her. And so I, I want Sharon to come out victorious. I like that Noah and Mariah are defending Sharon, and I like that this incident or this truth coming out about what Sharon did has created a, a, a good rivalry and a reason to be rivalrous between Mariah and Summer. I think that's the real uh, fueling fire. I think that's sort of what the Winer's directing us toward caring about is Mariah versus Summer. And I think I don't know, I think Mariah can whoop that little girl's butt in every way, shaped down physically, mentally. I think Mariah's smarter than Summer. Um, I think she's stronger than Summer. And there's kind of a part of me that wants to see Mariah take her down. And I, I this is totally um, surprising to me how much I'm also enjoying Mariah's relationship with Kevin. I, I never, when they brought her onto the show, never would have expected that to be the relationship that I'm kind of hmm, intrigued by, but I really am. It's making me like and appreciate Kevin again. Mariah and Kevin just have a good banter. They're both a little questionable of character, a little offbeat, and I like that in a couple. I think the show needs that, and there was an adorable moment this week where Kevin is talking about uh, his Thanksgiving not quite turning out how uh, it had planned. He ended up, I think he said ha being with Esther and kind of missing Chloe and Delia and Mariah puts her hand on his and there's a moment between them uh, of sensitivity uh, and camaraderie which is quickly followed by an awkward, oh wait a minute, 
this is too intimate, can't handle it right now. They both pull away and go and do other things. And that was adorable to me. I like how supportive he is of her. I like how supportive she is of him. I I did appreciate Kevin talking about his Thanksgiving and how um, <laughs> Jeff and Gloria were off on a singles cruise, which he glossed over. And he, he just goes, yeah, I don't, I don't know what he said. Like, Michael and Lauren were busy. Jeff and Gloria were off on a singles cruise. Don't ask. And it was so glossed over, but I thought... <laughs> That could be a whole spin-off show. Gloria and Jeff on a singles cruise. I mean, they're married. Aren't they married? No, I guess their marriage would have been invalid. But it's it's interesting to me that they're totally together, yet they're sort of swingers. <laughs> That's where some comedy would be. And by the way, I'm behind on my Bold and the Beautifuls, but I did see Gloria going over to Bold and the Beautiful. She crossed over as um, herself, <laughs> uh, the the actress played Gloria it on uh, on Bold and the Beautiful too, and it was very enjoyable. I miss her. I, I think it's gonna be time for Gloria to come back, maybe for the holidays. I would appreciate that. Um, but yes, I I I. I like the Summer versus Mariah feud. Uh, they're certainly, uh, they had a big blowout, of course, about Nick and Sharon. Summer's on Nick's side. Mariah's on Sharon's side. And Abby comes into the middle of this and starts talking to Summer. How do you feel uh, now that the paternity's been revealed? And hey, what's that mean for you and Kyle? I mean, you guys were getting pretty close when you found out he was your brother. And that kind of put the kibosh on it. And Summer's like... What are you talking about? I I I'm married. I'm not what am I gonna do? I mean, there's some implication that maybe Kyle is gonna come back for Christmas. I don't know if we're gonna see that on screen. I haven't seen that the actor is scheduled to, or any that there's been any recast. I haven't heard it anyway. So I don't I I don't know if that's just gonna be used as a little bit of a seed because Mariah overhears uh, Summer and Abby talking about Kyle and she doesn't even miss a beat before are walking over to Austin and fanning those flames. Hey, what do you think about uh, about Kyle coming back? Does that make you feel insecure at all? And Austin tries to pretend that it doesn't bother him, but it clearly does. So we're seeing a little bit of a fracture uh, in that relationship, which has kind of been shaky from the beginning. But it's, it, you know, Kevin kind of catches Mariah and what she's doing and says, you know, why are you trying to mess with that girl's head? And Mariah just says, oh, am I? I don't think that Mariah is interested in Austin. Austin. I think she's interested in destroying Summer. Let's see, it was on last Friday's show, YNR showed a preview of Nick getting discovered in the woods, and I guess I just saw the brunette hair, and I thought that Summer was the one that was going to rescue him, and I was disappointed about that, but I'm happy to see that it wasn't Summer, it was Sage. I, I don't know. Yeah, obviously it was going to be her. I don't know what I was thinking. I just, like, my eyes are playing tricks on me, I suppose, and I'm thrown off by Summer's new hair color. <laughs> uh, so, Sage finds Nick in in the woods, caught with his foot 
and leg in a bear trap and she naturally wants to help him. I think she's kind of got a good heart or she seems she seems like a nice person or like maybe she tries to do the right uh, or maybe she tries to do the right things but for the wrong reasons I suppose or wrong things for the right reasons. Yeah that's probably more like it. Uh, but she runs back up to the house to ask Adam for help. There's a guy bleeding to death in the woods. Um, could you help me? And gosh, Adam just does not want to help from the beginning. He's really resistant. She has to pretty much beg him to, to go help. And he does. He follows Sage into the woods, sees the man, recognizes right away that it's his brother. And Adam wants to leave him for dead. I, he's saying, yeah, 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 he's my brother. I recognize him. I gotta go. Sage is begging him. This man is, he's bleeding. We have to help him. We have to get some help. And Adam's like, sorry, I can't risk revealing my identity. I mean, if your plastic surgery is so good, why would anybody recognize you anyway? But it, it was, I, I don't know if it was just me. Tell me if it's just me. But Adam came off as really harsh this week. I'm Sage is able to convince Adam to help her get, I mean, Nick's passed out. He can't hardly see anything. He sees a moment where he sees, he sees Adam for a moment and says, you, I, I don't know what that meant. I don't know if he just sort of had a mystical sense that that was Adam because he looks nothing like Adam, but Nick did see him and does have a faint memory of seeing him, but uh, Adam doesn't want to help. She can, uh, Sage convinces him to get him out of the bear trap, which Adam does. He loosens up the bear trap, and then he's out. He's like, you're on your own, toots. I did what I was going to do. You call the, I'm not even going to help you call 911. I'm out. Adam, out. <laughs> Which was so uh, just reprehensible to me. She She's like, we got to get this man some help. She uh, ends up calling the uh, ambulance and calls 911 or whatever. And they come and rescue Nick. And he's fine. He gets taken off to the hospital. But she bolts. She, I think, knows that there is some level of not wanting to be discovered, and she makes sure Nick is, is safe, but then she leaves, goes back to the house, and questions Adam about all of this. What, what, what is your problem? I mean, you, this, you, you didn't want to help when you thought it was a stranger. You doubly did not want to help when you knew it was your brother. What is your big beef with Nick? And... Adam basically reveals that his entire reaction, his entire problem with Nick is the fact that Nick was Victor's chosen one. Oh, Nick was born with the silver spoon in his mouth and I got nothing. So it's right back to where they were at the beginning when Adam first came into town. He's jealous. He's jealous of Nick today as he was jealous of him five years ago or whatever when he came on to the scene. But let's not pretend that Victor didn't give you a chance, Adam. I'm sorry, I'm mad at Adam right now because it was rude. But I, when Adam came on to town, in town, Victor was had had it. He'd had it with Nick and with, with Victoria. Victor had handed Nick and Victoria the keys to the kingdom and neither one of them really wanted it. They didn't want it on Victor's terms anyway. So Victor ushered Adam into town with the utmost 
boost of preferential treatment. He gave Adam the company. <laughs> he gave Adam a place to live. He gave Adam everything and Adam betrayed him because of this jealousy. So we're right back to square one. I don't know. I guess Adam just, like, if Adam still believes that he killed Delia, where is the humility that we were starting to see toward the end of Adam's, you know, before the crash? Because it's completely gone now. What I'm, you know, seeing is... Adam right back to square one, bitter and angry, and I don't understand why. Even Sage is saying to him, I thought you were going to try to be a better person, but you're not. So what's going on? I don't know. I've, I'm like, I don't know who this guy is. I like the actor. Uh, I, I, so far, I think there's a lot of potential here, but I just, I'm, I'm wondering why he would be completely okay with leaving Nick dead in the woods. When Nick, I mean, yeah, they had brotherly rivalry, but Nick never did anything that bad to him. I, and a Adam was bad before, but that's bad to me. And, and, and not only that, not only that, but Adam is, he's, he's wholly and completely ungrateful for the fact that Constance and Sage saved his life. He treats them like crap. He doesn't seem to recognize what these two people have done for him. He called Constance an old bat. She paid for your surgery, and, and, and he treats Sage like she's a slave girl or something, like grabbing on her arm, just being real dominant with her, or being real, like, I don't know, aggressive with her, and Sage is the one who did take the time to uh, help him with his plans and nurse him back to health, and Adam has no regard for that whatsoever. I don't know, I'm mad at him. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, Nick is looking for his angel of mercy. This woman, there is a woman out there that saved his life. Probably doesn't help that she's beautiful. I mean, he's just gone on this journey of like, ugh, women, they're no good. And now he's, he's looking for his next angel. Maybe she'll have some dirty wings and need some rescuing. Hmm? <laughs> so I'm wondering, I'm sure you guys are all wondering too, is this going to be Nick's new love interest? Is there going to be a relationship between Nick and the mystery woman? And I'm sure he'll have to find out down the road that she helped Adam recover and that'll be a problem. You know, it's like Nick always enters into these relationships under the assumption that everything is at face value. And then he finds out later that the woman's been lying to him. That's kind of how it goes. And I don't know if this would be any different but uh, I don't know. Maybe Sage will be an in-the-meantime thing before the Nick and Sharon reunion. I thought it was interesting this week that Sharon was forced to sit down with Faith and explain to Faith why Daddy's so mad at her. And Sharon didn't quite know how to answer that question. And she gave a good analogy that really raised my eyebrow. And it was, well, you know how that time you stole Summer's diary and you said you were really, really sorry for it, but I had to punish you anyway? And Faith looks up at Sharon and says, so daddy's punishing you? 
And I think maybe that's, it's clearly what Sharon thinks. Sharon thinks she did a bad thing and he can't, he, he's not allowed to just forgive her. He has to punish her first. So that says a lot about where Sharon thinks the state of that relationship is. And I wonder if it could be true. I, I just think, I think we're going to see an in the meantime sort of dalliance between Nick and Sage. He goes out to the old house, back into the woods, hope he was looking for bear traps this time, goes to the woods, uh, knocks on the front door with and Constance answers. You know, Constance, by the way, is she a frail old woman or is she completely fine? Because she's seen, like, half the time... <laughs> <laughs> she's like in that wheelchair and Sage has to wheel her around and the impression is that she's super frail but then other times she's you know she'll hear a, she'll hear something going on with Gabriel and she'll hop up get in the wheelchair and wheel on over to his room to see what's going up or on or like she wheeled herself to the front door perfectly fine so old Constance comes to the door sees Nick and Nick starts asking questions trying to find the mystery woman and old Connie slams the door in Nick's face at the mention of one word, Newman, his last name, who he is. Uh, so she's got some major beef with uh, Newman. She didn't ask. He, you know, she said, oh, you're Nick Newman? She didn't say Adam Newman's brother. She said, you're Victor Newman's son? Slams the door right in his face. So I don't know if it's just disdain for Adam and because he was all over the news and vilified, or if there's more to her backstory. I'm not sure. I don't really like seeing Constance getting the short end of the stick. I kind of want to see her find out what Adam's up to and then maybe have some revenge of her own on him. He's just being a jerk. I, I, okay, I, I get that Adam is feeling restless. He's getting tired of having tea time and old books, reading old books in this dusty old place. It's not very Adam. He's like fully recovered now. He wants to get back to his life, back out into the world. I get that. Uh, he is able to, I'm sure he feels, he's a, he's a free spirit. He is the dominant spirit. Um, and I'm sure he feels cooped up by the fact that he's being forced to stay. I'm sure he's feeling like a prisoner and that's causing him to lash out. Um, he gets kind of a day pass from Constance to leave. She begs him not to go for permanent, but he's allowed to go overnight. Uh, and he has to take Sage with him for, uh, for accompaniment. So they both, like Sage and Adam, are on their way back to Genoa City. Uh, Adam walks through the revolving door of the club and we see that opening sequence shot of Adam returning to Genoa City. It zooms up on his face as he sees Chelsea for the first time in person for over a year. And there's this moment of he's looking at her, she's looking at him, and it's like, mm, there's, there's some kind of connection there. Uh, but we saw from the previews of next week's show that Chelsea's, you know, Adam's going to see her at the table, like smoochy smooching with Billy. It makes me wonder if Chelsea is even going to want Adam when she finds out that it's him because she's got her eyes pretty well set on Billy and we women do have a tendency to want what we can't have.
Avery has successfully, along with Dylan, spearheaded a grassroots campaign against Joel's Joe's development deal, uh, which is going to become very hard for Joe to ignore. And also, uh, when he catches Avery just happening to be changing her shirt in her office with the glass doors. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, who does that? She spills something on her shirt. Michael spills something on her shirt. She goes into her office, switches it out. She's standing there in her bra, switching her shirt. There, it's glass. <laughs> Have you know? She said something like, "Oh, I was just in my own world or whatever." But I, I'm aware when there's windows. <laughs> Apparently, she's not aware when there's windows, uh, and he gets an eyeful. I think that just fueled his little fire. Uh, in more ways than one. <laughs> I love this storyline. On every conceivable level, I love this storyline. It has roots. It has roots. Everybody in town is talking about this development deal. Jill and Colin, Lauren and Michael, uh, even the winners family are talking about it and they usually exist in a bubble from the rest of the town so i i love it it's it's created it's like a it's one of those storylines that weaves through the entire show it's gonna it's creating uh, a lot of division on on both sides it's gonna pit couples against one another i mean pretty much Weiner found a way to like drive the storyline right down the middle of a couple of different uh, couples and families, which I think is just wonderful and genius, and I love it. And I like that it has a uh, kind of a political element. Not, you know, I don't want it, that to be too heavy, but we haven't really seen that before. They've no, we've never had a grassroots campaign before, have we? That I can think of. I mean, maybe. Uh, I, I thought it was a little shocking that Dylan got a brick through his window at the coffee house. I don't know who would have done that immediately. uh, Paul and Dylan, I think, both assumed, or no, Paul immediately assumed that Joe had something to do with it. Dylan uh, wrote it off really quickly as, oh, some punks, you know, but I don't know. I don't know what the deal of with the brick was. Maybe it was just some foreshadowing. I mean, the grassroots campaign is going to have some, uh, some, some passionate support, but Joe's side of the develop and the develop have the money. I like that. I like creating that contrast. I don't think Joe's the kind of guy that's going to throw a brick through the window. I don't I don't know. I don't really get that vibe for him from him. Do you think so? Who threw the brick? Tell me who you think threw the brick. Um I don't know, but I am glad to see that Dylan is standing up for himself when it comes to his business. And when it comes to his girlfriend, it's it's making me like Dylan and it's making me like Joe. I am so glad. I just feel so grateful to YNR that they have given me my sexy bad boy that I've been wanting. I mean, Joe is like everything. They took away my Ronan. They took away my Alex. Then they took away my Adam and I'm having a hard time connecting emotionally. <laughs> with the current incarnation of Adam. So Joe, like, totally fits the bill for me. I swear, Weiner did their market research. They were like, okay, 
What does Allie need in the ultimate hottie? Dark hair, check. What's he's got some beautiful blue eyes, check. Rock and bod, check. Chiseled face, check. Uh, he's got oh 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 oh. <laughs> the, the and the the best part, the cherry on top. The character has he's 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 a bad boy. <laughs> he's got a dark kind of personality, but he's got one sensitive spot, and that's. A woman. <laughs> Bravo, Wayanar. Bravo. <laughs> they must have done some kind of like psychological testing on in, on me in my sleep because they formulated a perfect character for me. <laughs> I really like him. I, although I like Dylan and Avery, I really like the idea of Joe and Avery. They're like Lois and Clark, aren't they? I mean, like Avery has this very bookish. Lois thing going on and I mean Joe's definitely got a Superman thing going on I don't know if he fights crime at night or what he does <laughs> but it's working <laughs> um, and I, I like on the, the personal romantic level that Avery is going to be pulled in two different directions by two very different men. Can you almost even not imagine her with a guy like Joe? Because she's always come off as this fighting for the little guy uh, if since the very first moment she came into town and he's a big, you know, commercial real estate developer, evil, you know? So it's hard to imagine them together at all, but now I, I don't know, I kind of like the idea. They're two very different men. We've got the blue version versus white collar with Avery and several other people right in the middle of it. Uh, and I I kind of think, I think Joe is going to end up maybe coming out on top here. I There's a part of me that just wonders if he's going to end up being successful because I don't think Joe is the kind of guy that would throw the brick. I think he knows that the way to incite Dylan is through violence. I think Joe has determined, and it's not hard to see, that Dylan has violent tendencies. So if Joe is a smart, savvy guy, which I think he is, <laughs> then I think he's going to end up pushing Dylan to the edge and letting him do his own damage, which he probably will, if we've seen anything from the character of Dylan. Um... There was this lovemaking scene between Dylan and Avery toward the very end of this week's shows, and it was lovely. It was awesome. And we saw Dylan going into the nightstand and pulling out a ring that he's purchased. So he wants to move on with his life with Avery. I think he's feeling maybe the need to seal that deal. I wonder if we're going to be seeing uh, kind of a holiday proposal or something for those two. I, yeah, I think it's very sweet. <clears throat> I, I think Dylan is very sweet. I do like them together. I just wonder if Dylan is going to end up uh, self-destructing like he always does. Joe's development deal is... <laughs> causing some contention between Michael and Lauren's relationship as if we needed to add anything else more into this storyline. But Michael's like defending Joe or he's Joe's lawyer and Lauren is real is starting to become against the development deal and she was mad at Michael for not telling her about it. Michael's got his 
mind on so many other things, and I just wish he was talking to his wife about it. Um, he was talking to Phyllis a little bit more this week than he really uh, has with Lauren. He was opening up to Phyllis. It was a really, really nice conversation at Chancellor Park between Phyllis and Michael, which made me realize how much I missed that relationship. Phyllis and Michael had a really good connection and friendship that didn't have to be a, a romantic relationship. It's nice to see, you know, a man and a woman just being friends and being supportive, and they just seem to have this understanding between one another. And it's a special dynamic, and I really felt it even with the new actress. I felt the dynamic of Michael and Phyllis really coming through there, even though she's not um, the actress who originated the role. Uh, it seemed like the conversation they had gave Michael a little bit of peace uh, before he had to head off to the gallows. Um, his doctor's appointment revealed that he has stage 3 prostate cancer, and it doesn't sound good. I was trying really hard to listen to what the doctor was saying um, to find out exactly how bad it is and try to... Uh, get an understanding or prediction of are they going to kill Michael? Like, is Wayne going to kill Michael over this? I don't know. I thought it was a very impactful uh, way to reveal the information. I wanted to hear, like, exactly what the doctor was saying. Um, but the way they revealed it was interesting. It, it was like... The doctor's talking about how bad the cancer is and what the options are, and his voice just slowly starts to be drowned out and echoed as we get a close-up on Michael's face, which is very, um, very realistic. I don't know if you've ever gotten bad news. That's how it feels. Like all of a sudden, you're you're in the moment. You're, you you know you're you're there. You know you're physically there, but you can't. You know it just any the information starts drowning out around you, and you're just in your head all of a sudden realizing um, the severity of the situation. It was it was very, very impactful. Ugh, I felt awful. I don't know what's going to happen with this. I don't know what Michael is going to do. I'm a little disappointed by how resistant he is uh, to treatment, but I understand it too. Um, the doctor is presenting him with a couple of different options, all of which, as Michael said, will kill the cancer, but it will also kill certain things in me too. Michael's concern is he doesn't want to end up being an invalid. He doesn't want to end up just being confined to a, 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 a hospital bed. And it raises the interesting question of, you know, quality versus quantity of life, which is a real, um, it's a real, uh, you know, personal decision uh, that, that real people have to face. So, I want to see Michael coming out uh, on top of this. He's 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 telling the doctor that he um, doesn't want to have any treatment until after Christmas, and he even said, "I'm not going to let this cancer spoil my family's holidays." Ugh. But the doctor's warning him, saying, "You know, if the, every day that goes by, we're not treating this. It's getting worse. So you're taking a risk." And I. I understand where Michael's coming from. Uh, I'm just so worried that Weiner's going to kill the character, and I really hope not. It's uh, this. It's still going to. It's like 
you know there's going to be holiday scenes where probably Lauren is talking about how they're the happiest they've ever been. Meanwhile, we're going to know what's going inside uh, inside with Michael, on inside with Michael, and it's just going to be heartbreaking. It's totally going to make me cry. And if Michael doesn't make a full recovery, I mean, the doctor said something like, it's not going to stop the cancer. Like, we can treat it. Like, I kind of got the impression that the doctor was saying, we can slow it down, but we can't stop it. Is that what you guys thought? So, I don't know. Are we going to lose the character of Michael Baldwin? I'm never one to jump on top of the band, jump on the bandwagon of, oh, somebody's going to die. When I haven't, like, heard it, I want to hear the contract status before I'm able to fully accept that. Um the actor's contract status. Uh, and I haven't heard anything from Christian the blog. Is anybody paying attention? Has he said, has he said anything? Do we, what do we really know? I want some hard facts. Don't just give me, oh, I heard this or rumor or whatever. Somebody tell me, do we have, do we have word on, uh, Christian the blog's contract status? Do we have word from him directly that they're killing the character? Because I have heard, um, that, uh, Joe Ferenfeld said some, someone was going to die by the end of the year on YNR or something like that. But I want hard facts. <laughs> Somebody tell me. Because if, if we're going to lose Michael Baldwin, I think I'm going to lose it. Now that Lily is on to Devon, that he's seeing someone, he and Hillary have to cover their tracks and make it seem like Devon's dating someone that he's so in love with to try to explain why the fact that he's walking on cloud nine. Um, it's hilarious to me that they arranged this family dinner to, de to meet Devon's mystery woman and Hillary picked the girl <laughs> who was going to stand in. It was so funny to me um, that this girl was totally okay with just pretending to be Devon's soulmate over here and there was a moment before the dinner where she said to him um I you know I'm happy to help I can't imagine how hard it must be for you to live a double life and I got the impression right away like she thinks he's gay <laughs> she's gotten this impression that she is helping him keep up a ruse that he's straight for his family and so that's kind of like why she's being so nice and helpful and saying that she understands and it it wasn't revealed until after the dinner that that was truly what she she thought. But I thought it was just a, a quick little like, huh? What? Huh? What's the, what's, the, what's the impression? And I thought it was funny and I thought it was clever. And I could definitely put up with the, the this whole ruse for at least another couple of weeks. Uh, because I think Gwen, the girl, seems really nice. I think she's cute, and I like her. <laughs> I thought the dinner, she just got along right away with Neil. She probably is the girl Devon should be dating. It just, it, it went really well. Lily, of course, was suspicious, and, um, you know, Hillary was uncomfortable, and, I mean, I don't know if Lily's ever going to figure this out, or Neil, or anybody else, but I could deal with, of course, I felt like I could deal with a couple weeks of Neil being blind, um, and now here we are, I don't know how many months later, but I could at least deal with a couple weeks of, of Gwen and this ruse, because I think it's funny, uh, and I thought it was uh, especially funny that he had to correct her afterwards, uh, after the whole dinner was over, uh, he's like, wait, 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 you think I'm gay? I'm not gay. 
okay. Um, I just, uh, what did he say? He said, uh, my family just thinks I should be settling down and uh, just doing this to make them uh, think that I'm getting serious about somebody. And she seemed a little happy to find out that he wasn't gay, that he was maybe a little bit available. After all, he is Genoa City's most eligible billionaire. Who wouldn't want that? Uh, and so he's, you know, she was seemed like, well, hey, you know, if you're not gay, you can call me sometime, you know, nothing serious. I just, you know, I'll hang out and talk to you. And he seemed like he was sort of smiling back at her, like he wasn't entirely immune to this beautiful woman talking to him and maybe the idea of, uh, of, 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 of going out with her. I wonder if he's going to actually find himself having a relationship or becoming friends with her, uh, with Gwen, and, may, and ended up making Hillary extremely jealous. I like it. This is good. See, Devon, there are other fish in the sea. The woman of your dreams doesn't have to be your father's wife. Okay, my podcast peeps, I am running a little late, so I gotta get going, but I hope that you loved this week's show and that you leave me a comment. You can call into my voicemail at 309-588-4569, or you could go to the website, yrchat.com. It's still, I'm still working on the transition. If there's any problems, you can always go to Facebook. Uh, you can always find me on Twitter. Um, and uh, yeah, just look it up. Just do a search for Ali's YNR chat, or you can leave me a voicemail. Either way, I love hearing from you guys, and I will be back next week to give you my opinions <laughs> yet again, as always, like clockwork. <laughs> okay, everybody, have a good week. I love ya. Bye.